Electricast. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 148 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon, and the Burden of Command podcast is a production of The Leadership Failings. To find out more about me and what I can do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Now, one more quick reminder here uh, before we get into today's guest that just two episodes after this, uh, we're going to be changing the name of the show to the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Same great content, same great guests, same basic format, uh, just some minor rebranding going on. So if you hear something a little bit different, starting with episode 151, you're still in the right place. Now, today's guest is Art Johnson. Art is CEO of Infinity Systems, Inc., a management consulting firm where he helps leaders identify and rectify organizational misalignment. Previously, he implemented a strategic plan to improve alignment at Medtronic, the world's largest medical technology company, enabling it to grow top-line revenue by 13% year-over-year in a flat market. His new book, and what we'll be talking about a lot today, is The Art of Alignment, a data-driven approach to lead aligned organizations. Now, this was a great conversation that Art and I had here, and uh, we really focus on what alignment is, why it's valuable, and how your organization can achieve it. So without further ado, I'm going to get out of the way, let the stinger play, and let you get into this amazing interview with Art Johnson. Well, hello, Art, and welcome to the Burden of Command podcast. Good morning. Yeah, I'm uh, excited to finally have this conversation. It's it's taken a little bit of finagling to get here, huh? <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> well, I think it's going to be worth it. Uh, you know, f- for the listeners, I mentioned in the pre-roll bio, we're going to be talking a bit about your book, uh, The Art of Alignment, A Data-Driven Approach to lead aligned organizations. But before we get into the book, I got to start you out where I start off all of my guests. When you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? Interesting. Um, Well, I tell you, the first thing that comes to mind is when we think about leadership, I would have to say, Earl, that uh, that comes with responsibility. And with that responsibility as leaders, we have to take it seriously. And by taking it seriously, meaning we have to make sure that we've truly taken the time to one, clearly communicate what it is we are about as an organization, uh, but also to inspect what you expect. And that requires some time, energy, and effort. No, I, I like that a lot. And uh, you hit on a lot of key elements that have been kind of a theme uh, through some of the responses. And and I like the way you, you packaged all that together. And, and it reflects very much so in the book. Uh, so let me start out for listeners here. When you use the term alignment, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about the strength of harmony between strategy, structure, and culture. So when we we talk about things like our mission statement, our vision statement as an organization, the degree to which employees have bought into that is paramount. 
so when we think about the stru- the strategy, we've defined dif- directionally where we're trying to go. Are we structured in a way that we can get there? And do we have the right sort of culture so that not only are we able to achieve our objective objectives, but we're also able to sustain performance over time? So that's that's a, a more clinical answer, but that that that's where we have uh, positioned that. Yeah, no, I like that. I mean, cl- sometimes clinical responses are the are the best and most appropriate response, and and I like that. Um, but the other thing I really like is you put the onus of alignment on leadership. Why is that the case? So, Earl, I, I don't know if I solely put it on leadership, but I think it starts there. Okay. And what I mean by leaders, it's not just your your stereotypical leader by title. There are other leaders within the organization that may not necessarily carry the title, but they carry a lot of weight and influence. Uh, they have a loyal following. When they congregate around the water cooler, there are people listening. And so it's important that we, we gather uh, or, or kind of galvanize, if you will, all of these leaders and making sure that one, uh, that we have one coherent, cohesive message as an organization as to who and what we're about. But the degree to which you can literally sew into the very fabric of the culture of that organization, some of the ideals and ideologies uh, is critical. And a lot of that comes with storytelling. And so leaders that are effective storytellers can get that message across. The beauty of that, Earl, is, is that these stories, sort of like the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. The story being able to carry out, carry out over the, you know, the test of time and, and people be able to, you know, harken back to experiences and whatnot that, that tie. And so I think that that storyteller within the organization is not only good at, at, at illustrating what the expectation is, but at the same time, creating a, a narrative around what expectations are going forward. Yeah, no, I like that. And, and I agree a hundred percent with, uh, you know, finding the right leaders that are in the right areas to, to make this happen and drive drive that kind of well the words you use change in perspective right because i think that's critical especially and we've seen this during covid you know alignment is great but alignment can't be rigid right it's got to kind of shift and and change from time to time to meet the situation at hand you know you're you're really touching on something there and i i don't know if if alignment shifts but i think leadership has to pivot like that. And, uh, and I guess by leadership pivoting, in essence, there's elements of, of alignment and messaging and, and, and that sort of thing that, that have to morph as well. So what I, what I'm, what's coming to mind, Earl, specifically is the type of leadership that's required to get an organization from point A to point B. And sometimes it's a command and control sort of, uh, leadership, which, you know, there, there is a time for that. Uh, sometimes it's more of the shepherd sort of leader, which is to say, you know, there are bellwether within our organization that are faster and in some instances more capable. So as that shepherd, all I want to do is make sure that I can get all the sheep going in that direction and get behind that bellwether and support what it is that, that, that they're bringing to the table. So it's a different sort of mentality. It's not the me, me, me sort of leader. It's the one that says, hey, let's get behind that. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, making sure that, that uh, you know, everybody's going in that same direction. Yeah, no. I, 
really the really good leader is going to be able to ascertain uh, what the need of the organization is. Does it call for that uh, uh, grabbing of the blowhorn and uh, and getting the message out, or is it more subtle messaging, or even is it time for uh, a different person to step up into that leadership role and then uh, and then get behind that 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 particular uh, person and or initiative. Yeah, no, I like that too. And, and um, you know, I think that's something that a lot of organizations, at least in my experience, is that's one of the things that a lot of organizations really do struggle with because, you know, I, I believe the same thing. I, I believe that anybody can be a great leader. Uh, I believe that it, it takes some time and effort and investment for, and more so for some people than others. Some people have some great natural talent. Some people are leaders in only one certain area, right? Uh, so I think we sing in harmony on that, but I'm curious from your experiences, because I get a lot of pushback on that saying, well, no, there's no way that employee X uh, that works in, in silo B can be a leader. They just don't have that skill set. How do you get people to to really understand the value of, of those types of employees and what they can bring to the table, especially when it comes to this uh, shift in supporting the alignment of the organization? So part of the, the leader's role is to um, clearly outline directionally where we're trying to go, what it is we're trying to accomplish, and the, um, the method by which we might get there. Uh, but it's also to enlist the broader organization to identify other ways that we might accomplish our goals as an organization. Someone may come up with a wonderful idea that may not have been considered otherwise. So has the leader created a culture where people feel comfortable speaking up? They don't feel like they're at risk of reprisal for sharing their thoughts or ideas. Um, and then they have a way and mechanism by which they can capture those thoughts and ideas and fully imbue them in the organization. So if all those pieces are there, then it's a function of making sure that you have the right kinds of people on the bus, so to speak those that have the ability to carry messages out, those that have creative ideas that they can bring to the table, uh, those that just kind of fall in line with direction where we're going and those that can also lead. So by having a diverse group of people with different types of skill sets, all of which point toward the direction that the organization uh, could and should be going, um, are things that that leader should be looking for. And then occasionally tapping certain individuals on the shoulder that carry the skill set necessary for the given challenge or task at hand and um, and then you know driving a sense of accountability within the organization through empowerment mm. no i like that and you, you talked earlier about stories as you were talking what popped into my head was the kind of the infamous uh, story some people say it actually happened some people say it's just another part of nasa lore but there's kind of the infamous, you know, uh, somebody asked uh, a janitor at NASA what their job was. And they said, I'm sending people to the moon. And, and you know, the obviously they're a janitor. They're there to empty trash cans and that sort of stuff. But to that individual in that story, their job was to send people to the moon, just like the, the high level engineer that was working on rockets and things like that. And I think if I'm following you, that's kind of that alignment and that using your resources that you're talking about, right? Absolutely. So the, the degree to which we can take and push decision-making down into the organization, get people excited about the mission and vision and how they contribute to it, 
get them to see line of sight how their contribution contributes brought to the broader organization so that when we celebrate our successes they can you know stand up a little bit taller or stick their chest out a little bit more and, and have a sense of pride knowing that they contributed to it in whatever capacity and the degree to which we can empower these individuals and get them excited and get them to drop the oars in the water is the term that we use frequently in this alignment space uh, is paramount to creating the sort of energy that not only propels an organization to achieve its objectives, but it creates a culture that's sustainable over time. Yeah. And that's magic, right? That, that's the magic that everybody should be chasing. It, it, Earl, it is, you know, we, we see it all the time, you know, whether it's um, uh, a, a corporate uh, in a corporate setting, a, 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 um, in any organization, we see it uh, in sports. We see it even in orchestras. Like, uh, you know, I think about like the Bolero and the ability to, to perform that. There aren't a ton of orchestras around the world that can even do it. But the amount of focus and attention and alignment that's required to pull it off uh, is something to behold. But when it happens... Boy, is it something special. And, you know, we all strive for that. But there are components that we have to be paying particular attention to that uh, that I outline in my book, The Art of Alignment. And uh, and we get at each and every one of them so that now we can figure out if we're not really reaching optimal performance, uh, we can start looking at the, the constructs that ultimately can get us there and figure out where we're falling a little bit short, tweak those things and uh, get ourselves back on track. No, I love it. Well, I think that's a great segue into talking about these pillars. Now, uh, obviously, we're not going to have time to get in uh, to every single one of these nine pillars here. And listeners, uh, that just means that you're going to have to go out and and buy a copy of the art of uh, the art of alignment to get the rest of that. But let, let's dive into those. Does that sound good? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So uh, the first pillar, and I really like this is mission and vision. Now, you've talked about that already. Uh, some people see those things as being the same exact thing. Uh, so how are they different? So the, the main difference is, is that the, the mission uh, defines what it is that we're about as an organization. The vision describes what the world will look like if we're able to achieve it. Mm. So pretty pretty straightforward. I mean, it's not <laughs> it's not the sexiest uh, description, but but that's the one that we use. Yeah. Well, no, and I like that. And, and I, I, I like simple. And, and one of the other things you talk about in a book is a clear and simple mission. And I'm going to assume just by that and, and some of the things in the book that you've ran into some organizations where that mission is overly complicated, but there's some beauty in, in simplification, right? There is because what, what it allows everyone in the organization to do is to be able to recite it, keep it front and center, um, bring it into each and every one of the staff meetings, uh, and make sure that it's it's something that uh, is reflected throughout. Whether it's in a employee um, uh, evaluation, um, whether it's in a job description, whatever, um, we should be clear on directionally where we're trying to go as an organization, um, and and specifically what we're about, and so. With that, um, we save ourselves a lot of mis mishires. Um, so if it's clear in the interview process who it, who we are and what we're all about, 
um, a person that's interviewing for that particular uh, job or to come into that particular organization can quickly decide, is this a fit or not? And the question should be geared more toward that. And so the degree to which we get really effective in that, then we have fewer mishires. Um, and then the training process is a lot easier because you have a person that's fully bought into directly where the organization is going and what it's about. And they can bring their uh, full authentic self because it is aligned with who and what they're about. And so that's where this this really starts to get kind of interesting and exciting. Oh, no, I love that. And I love the fact that you brought in the hiring process, because that's one of the things that I've done uh, some work in is is uh, working on unconscious biases and things like that in the hiring process. And one of the exercises I have folks go through, and it sounds very similar to kind of what you're talking about here, is before you look at anything, write out a few sentences that identify the strongest candidate. And then we go through and we talk about all the different things that weigh into the decision-making process. You know, the obvious ones, the age, race, sex, religion. But then we talk about how attractive the person is. Um, you know, some of the, the affective type things. How do they look? Uh, are they tall? Are they skinny? All those sorts of things, right? And then at the very end of it, I asked them to go back and look at those sentences and how many of those mention age, race, sex, religion, height, weight, any of that. And the answer is none of them, right? <laughs> but so we know what we want on one hand, but we're not aware as we go through the process of these things that come in and kind of filter our decision making that really don't have any bearing on the process. <laughs> And this mission uh, and vision and, and having it clearly simplified seems like a great mechanism to, to help with that, right? It does, Earl. You know, and I, uh, I spoke at, uh, at Villanova University, oh, this has been six, seven years ago, uh, to a graduate class of, it must have been close to 50 students. And um, so you've got students that are middle management and up to senior management, up through senior management. And so I asked the question, I, I pulled out a $100 bill and I said, I'll give this $100 bill to anyone in here who can recite their mission statement without looking it up. And there were only two that tried and one of them got close. The other one did not. And, uh, but the one that got close still did not achieve the, or hit the target. So that just shows you that throughout corporate America, throughout uh, organizations, whether it's public or private, people struggle with that. And so the degree to which we can simplify it so that it doesn't leave the minds of the individuals, we have now you know, taken that first step to making sure that everyone's fully on board. Mm. No, I like it. And, and, and I think the other thing that you mentioned there, and, and I really want to highlight because I think this is something that is extremely valuable for folks to take away from this is that oftentimes we look at hiring through the lens of the organization doing the hiring. But what I liked about what you said there was you mentioned a lot about the applicant. And I think people fail to realize that the, the hiring process, especially the interview process, is just as much about the applicant figuring out if this organization is a good fit for them as it is for the organization figuring out the applicant works for them, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and it's, it's both ways, Earl, right? So part of the responsibility is on the applicant to make sure that 
hey, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to a place that espouses my, my values and, 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 and will allow me to hopefully achieve my aspirational goals. Um, but in the same token, the organization as well has to make sure that they're asking the right sorts of questions to really ascertain whether or not we have the right candidate for the culture that we're trying to create. And so um, that that's not the easiest thing. And we're, we're seeing that play out time and time again, like in places like law enforcement, one of one of the uh, uh, sectors that we we've been serving for some time now. Yeah, no, 100 percent. Well, that ties into the next pillar quite nicely, because we talk about leadership uh, and you talk about how authenticity uh, and leading by example are important. And those are things, you know, as as a former active duty Marine, those are things that are near and dear to my heart because those were foundations of Marine Corps leadership. Um, but I think that's really it. Right. Is is what you just said. The the alignment will come back to your word, the alignment of what you say and what you do. And I think this is my opinion. I don't know if you share it or not. But in the environment we're in right now where we're talking about this great resignation uh, that's going on, I think that's really at the root of it, right, is is people people want to say, well, you know, hey, folks are getting free money. Of course, they don't want to work. But I don't think people are saying they don't want to work. I think people are actually saying, hey, you're misaligned. I don't want to work for you. <laughs> you know, I think each, each situation has its own. Um, sort of uh, uh, items that that are that are coming into play, um, and and so each each one is different. You know, I I've got examples on both sides of that, uh, you know, uh, equation, right? One that you know there are individuals that flat out don't, but then to your point, you're right. I don't really want to work for you, and unfortunately or fortunately, we have people that are uncomfortable having those difficult conversations and letting them know in the exit interview, this is really the reason why I'm not coming back to work or the reason why I quit or the reason why I you know, want to work from home or whatever it may be. And so, uh, so for your extroverts that are able to articulate those things and, and are comfortable, then uh, we get that good feedback. But many times our best talent walks out the door. We have no, no idea why it happened. And so, um, but it oftentimes, to your point, Earl, it does, uh, it is attributable to who they're working for. More people leave not for another job as much as they do to get away from the boss that they have. Yeah, no. And, and I think that's, uh, you know, reading through the book, maybe I've learned a few things here, uh, <laughs> but I think that's kind of the point, right, is with alignment here, right, is, is. It, and they don't have to be those those big things that we see a lot of immediate attention on, again, going back to age, race, sex, religion, things like that. But if you're a science-based company and you don't support science, people don't want to work for the company anymore. Uh, if, if you are a philanthropic organization and you're operating more capitalistic than philanthropic, people don't want to work for that organization anymore. The, this alignment that you talk about, whatever dimension it's on, is really the driving factor, right? Yes, yes. And and the degree to which we can get true alignment in our organization, we can begin to expect voluntary turnover to decrease. When we think about why this alignment thing is so important, 
which I would imagine we're going to talk about here, um, and just to get right into it, is an aligned organization performs better than a misaligned organization. So part of the exercise here is to figure out, and, and we have, that's what orgometrics is all about, is the ability to measure alignment. And in measuring it, we can quickly ascertain where we stand relative to alignment. So the higher my orgometric score, the more aligned my organization is. If it's if I find it to be misaligned, now I can begin to unpack, all right, what's driving the misalignment within? And figure out, all right, is this, do we have an accountability issue? Do we have a communication challenge? What is it that's driving this misalignment? And oh, by the way, where is it taking place? Is it taking place in a certain geographical area within the organization? Or is it taking place with a certain group of people within the organization? And there's some interesting things that have come from that. What I learned in leading some of the organizations I've run is that the farther you get away from uh, headquarters, the uh, the message starts to get a little weaker. <laughs> so the communication isn't quite as strong. And therefore, we become a misaligned entity or organization. The other thing that we also found is that people within the organization that felt most disenfranchised were the ones that were misaligned as well. They felt you'd hear statements like, well, that's their mission statement or that's their vision, you know, not not mine. And so those are misaligned kind of comments. And so part of that, again, if I feel disenfranchised for whatever reason, like you said, it could be race, gender, uh, sexual orientation, religion, doesn't matter. Uh, I am going to uh, it, it's going to be more difficult for me to become an aligned individual. But if we become a culture of of inclusive inclusivity. Um, that begins to mitigate a lot of that. Mm. No, I love what you said there. I mean, because it's 100% true. Obviously, I, I agree uh, with that. I'm very curious, as you're doing this uh, data gathering, how often do you run into, when you first start working with an organization, their expectations are that they are 100% in alignment, and then your data tells them, they're nowhere near. You know, first of all, um, uh, that is the, that is more often the case than not. People are more misaligned than they think they are. And what's what we're learning is that the misalignment um, starts at the leadership level, leadership team level. So in other words, when we've gone out to measure alignment within an organization, what we've learned is about 74% of the most senior leaders of the organization, like the ones that report directly to the CEO or the superintendent or you, you name whoever the top person is, those direct reports are 74% aligned, which means that there's 26% on average misalignment. And when they go to cascade the message throughout the organization, misalignment doesn't breed alignment. It breeds more misalignment. So as you get further down, that, that that alignment score gets lower and lower so that by the time you get to the individual contributor level, we're in the teens. And so that's why it's critical that that leadership team is fully on the same page. And when we leave these doors from this, this, this meeting, establishing who it is that we are and what it is that we're going to be and what the world's going to look like based on that, 
We need to go out one of one accord. And so if you have an issue in this meeting, raise it now. Let's get it worked out. Because like I said, when we walk out of here, we are on the same page. And so when I speak to groups and, and particularly leadership teams, uh, you know, of course, we're, we're, we're using the book as kind of the backdrop. But but the main thrust of the conversations are how do we get everybody on the same page and um, and the degree to which we can do that and then be effective at cascading the message to the next level. And that's what I meant early on when I mentioned inspecting what we expect. We're expecting alignment. So how do we inspect that? So part of it is is through measurement, but also a large part of it is to uh, is taking the time to get to know the players on the team and making sure that not only are the expectations clear to them, but the ways by which we recognize their work and evaluate their performance is consistent with what it is that we expect and where we're trying to go as an overall organization. Mm. No, and I love what you said there, and and I want to kind of give a, a slightly different example here just because I know I've got a lot of veterans uh, that listen to the show as well, and they'll identify with this. Uh, but anybody who's done any uh, orienteering will get it, right? But what you said about alignment, so, you know, if you're off by a degree on a compass after 100 yards, you're off by about five feet, right? So that's not that bad. You can correct that pretty easy. Uh, after a mile, you're looking somewhere between 90 to 100 feet. But if you were to circumnavigate the globe, you would be 500 miles away from where you started. <laughs> and, and and that's what you're talking about there with the alignment. The, the further that propagates away from, you said headquarters, we'll use that word, uh, the, the further off the entire organization gets. And that's really your point there, right? Absolutely. You know, and, and, and in, in the telecommunication space, um, uh, we call that attenuation, which is the longer that line is, you know, we start to get distortion and the, the message isn't as clear by the time it gets to the, uh, the furthest point away. Um, so it's incumbent upon the leaders to make sure that we put what's called repeaters out there, which strengthen the signal as we send it, uh, longer distances um, and and minimize the distortion. You know, uh, uh, Earl, I, I my father was a drill sergeant in the Army. Nice. MP over in Korea. And uh, he said what he meant and meant what he said. And I can recall as a kid, you know, this is early on alignment for art. Um, bringing the car in late, one of my first times out with the car, uh, he wanted home by 11 and I got in about like 11.05 and the old drill sergeant met me at the door. And I could tell by the look on his face that there was extreme disappointment. And all he did is ask me, are we ever going to have this problem again? <laughs> mm. Crystal clear as to what the expectations were. Uh, I'll tell you another quick one, too. Same guy, my father. Uh, I finished cutting the grass. And um, afterwards, he comes out to just kind of see how, you know, inspect the work. You know, the, again, we're inspecting what we expect. And there's a strip that I had missed. And he looked at me and said, Art, is this your best work? <laughs> mm. So I see the strip and I, I say, no, no, it's not my best work. He asked me one more question. He said, when do you think we'll see your best work? <laughs> so within about two seconds, I got that lawnmower fired back up again and finished off the job. But the message was clear. You know, the expectations were clear. And uh, an alignment began early in my life. I, over the, my professional career, I just began the process of 
identifying the components of it and uh, effectively measuring it. So, no, this is I, I appreciate your the, the example you used of of of, uh, of the military because it's very much a part of how I grew up. Yeah, well, no, I love it. And this is so a couple of the other pillars are communication and accountability. And that's really what we were just talking about. And what I, and what I like about that and, and where this ties into the next question I want to ask, because I asked about alignment being out of proportion, but I'm assuming that you find something similar with communication itself, like like organizations feel they communicate better than they really do. Right. Yeah, they, they do. You know, and so the question is, is the message getting to the people? In other words, certain leaders are better at cascading the message than others. So part of this is is to measure that. We want to find out, hey, which which parts of the organization, you know, don't understand the mission. What parts of the organization can't see the the correlation between their day to day activities and the mission? And that's a function of, again, uh, effective communication. But another aspect of it is is communication within the organization bidirectional. I mean, if we're running a paramilitary organization, you're right, then it's it's command and control, right? Push the message out, do what I say. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need feedback loops, Earl. We got to have, you know, there's things that are happening out there that uh, that we may not, at, sitting in our ivory tower, be aware of. Have we installed the right kind of um, uh, feedback loops so that we can get fast, accurate information relative to the uh, ever-changing marketplace. And so the really strong communication organizations are that are effective at communicating uh, have these feedback loops. Yeah, no, and, and here's the dirty little secret Hollywood doesn't want you to know because of how they make every military movie ever made, basically, is that command and control really doesn't work in the military either. Like, 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 as you mentioned, there are certain times when it has a role, right? But those aren't necessarily leadership times. Those are more management times. Um, but everything you just said, all of these things still hold true. That, that's why I guess Hollywood brushes up against it. That's why you hear that call and response, right? So, you know, uh, submarine movie, you know, make depth 100 feet. Aye, aye, make depth 100 feet, sir. It's what you just said, that that feedback loop to keep the the conversation going. Um, and so I agree with you 100% on this, and especially the bi-directional piece. I was working with an organization once, and we did a, uh, uh, we did a survey, and, and we, we broke it out for management and uh, bargaining unit. And the bargaining unit's response was, I really wish management would talk to us more. And the number one response from management was, I really wish the bargaining unit would talk to us more. They both wanted the same thing, right? They just didn't know that they both wanted the same thing. And how often does that happen, right? Right. Yeah. More frequently than we would like. So how do we overcome? Uh, so basically what we're talking about here is something called optimism bias, right? We always think that we're doing a little bit better than we we are, no matter what the subject is. We always think our breath smells better than it is. We always think that we're losing weight faster than we really are. All of these things, right? How do we overcome that optimism bias when it comes to alignment and communication? Boy, that's a good question. Um, First of all, um, it's through uh, having conversations with individuals within the organization. Um, interviewing, um, opportunities for skip level interviews, um, 
setting aside the time to just get to know where everybody's coming from. I think these create opportunities for dialogue and, and feedback and um, a better understanding of, of, of or I should say, a better mechanism by which we can get folks on the same page. Mm, I agree. I love it. It's, it's going back to the earlier discussion about leadership. You really got to model that example, right? If you want communication, you got to communicate. Um, so one of the other pillars there uh, that we talk about is uh, empowerment. When you're talking about empowerment here, what are you talking about? I'm talking about pushing decision-making down in the organization. If the belief is that the individual contributors of the organization, sometimes that could be the sales force, um, are closest to the customer, are closest to what's going on in the marketplace, have we pushed decision-making down as far as we possibly can so that they have the autonomy to make the right decision at the right time. They have the most information of anybody. And if we've done a good job of fully empowering them to delight our customers or delight those that we are serving, then at that point in time, we should get the most positive outcomes if they're following our mission or if they're following the mission and vision of the organization. So if we're clear on what that is, We've pushed decision-making down. We should get better, faster decisions. The beauty of this, Earl, is that now we have also, at the same, in the same turn, created a greater sense of accountability because there is no finger pointing. I'm not doing what you told me to do. I'm doing what I believe to be the right thing for the situation. And so if we're looking at the outcome of that work, who's the most accountable individual? It's the individual making that decision. The fact that they're able to do that is liberating. So uh, I don't know if you've ever read this book called Zap. It's the lightning of empowerment. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, when an employee meets with an employer, does the employee leave that conversation with more energy than they came with? So in other words, if I go to meet with my boss and I have a conversation and that conversation saps me of my energy, because I have not been empowered to make my own decisions, I'm probably going to begin to think about doing something else. But if in turn, I've actually been empowered to do the work that I do, then the excitement of going back and doing that with the fervor and intensity and bringing my full self to the job is definitely in play. I'm going to do not only my best work, but when you recognize my work, it's going to be genuine. Because it wasn't me just carrying out what it is you wanted. It's me getting a chance to use my creativity, use my capabilities, use my brain power uh, to accomplish what we've set out to do. And then the recognition is much more meaningful. Mm. No, and, and I love that again. And, and you know, being a, a uh, having an, a drill sergeant as a father, you may have heard this before. I don't know. Uh, but there's an infamous quote by Patton, and I'm going to paraphrase it. But keep in mind, this is a guy that they referred to as blood and guts, right? He didn't have exactly a warm, fuzzy personality. But he uh, said, don't tell people what to do. Tell them what needs to be done and get out of their way and let them dazzle you with their brilliance. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about here, right? That's exactly it. That is exactly it. And so that's for the person that is, you know, the, the term control freak is overused. But for the person that, that that embodies this, that sort of ideology, they struggle with that. 
And those aren't going to be the most effective leaders because they're incapable of employing the Tom Sawyer approach, which, you know, we've, we've read that literary work of Mark Twain. But how do we get this fence painted if we have to do it all by ourselves? It's going to take us an entire summer. But if we can enlist the help and support of others around and empower those around us, we put ourselves in a place where we can get this done quickly. And so it's critical that we that we that we grasp this concept and really try to embody it in a way that allows the organization to perform as 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 well as it can. Well, and I would say not only that, but the final product is almost always better when you do this than it would be if you just had do it textbook my way, right? Right. Right. Exactly. But if you're trying to inject energy into your organization, it's <laughs> there's there's no faster way to do it than, than pushing decision making down. You know, people feel energized and liberated based on just that alone. No, I love it. I love it. So uh, going past the pillars here again, listeners, there's more pillars. You need to get the book and you can find out what they all are. Uh, but you talk about something in the book and I love this term, but it's the crescendo effect. So what is the crescendo effect? So, you know, we've got all these pillars like you're talking about. And part of the exercise here is to look at each one and say, boy, you know, we sure got to get our communication together or we, we need better leaders within our organization. The crescendo is how these things play off of each other. So, for instance, if we've got better leadership, we communicate more effectively, we get better feedback loops, it drives a greater sense of creativity, we've pushed decision-making down, the economy, excuse me, the accountability goes up, all of these elements begin to come together and create what I call that crescendo effect, which allows us to to, it, it, it's no longer additive, it's more exponential in terms of our ability to perform. Medtronic was a prime example of that. We went and identified where we as an organization, as a sales organization, were falling short. When we addressed those things, we got the benefit of that crescendo effect. Things started happening that, and we became aware of things that would otherwise not have been uh, readily accessible or identifiable. And by identifying these things and addressing them as we go and, again, pushing these decisions down in the organization, uh, we, we really got some significant lift. And that's where we were, we were able to grow top line revenue 13 percent year over year in a flat market. And, you know, Earl, as a market leader, that is very difficult to do. So um, that, that's something that I will always be excited about and an example I will always use. But, again, it's just a matter of, of really trying to get that crescendo effect of all these elements, these nine pillars kind of coming together and and uh, making it an exponential experience versus just additive. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that. You know, and folks, we've been chatting here for about 40 minutes or so, and, and I promise you we've only touched on about half of the book. Uh, that's how much meat there is in this book. Um, but before we do anything else, I got to ask you one other question here. Uh, from the book, you talk about the paradox of the smart person. What is that about? <laughs> well, you know, oftentimes, you know, people are promoted because they are perceived to be smart. And, and many times they are. Uh, but it, sometimes that smartness can get in the way. In other words, if you ever ask a smart person a question, 
they feel compelled to answer it. Well, Earl, sometimes it's better not to answer the question. And I can recall, you know, employees coming into my office asking me, hey, Art, can I do this? Well, I know the answer, right? Or at least I know my answer. Right. But instead of answering the question, I'd say, you know, Bob, I don't know. Can you? And then Bob would say, well, I know. I just want to know if, 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 if this is something that I can do. And I'd say, well, you know, do you think it's the right thing to do? Well, yeah. Okay. Well, can you tell me what's standing in your way from moving forward then? <laughs> right? Just completely pushing. But, but the minute I answer the question, I have killed all creativity because now as the boss, we're going to do what the boss says, the kind of culture that we're, we're in. But if we as leaders can just not have to be the smartest person in the room and answer all the questions, we get more ideas that bubble up and we get more options by which we can choose. There's always an opportunity for you to share your thoughts, views and opinions. But if you can just bite your tongue for a second as a leader, right, that you've got the title, get over yourself and, and let's hear what some of the other ideas that might potentially take us further faster. I love that. Um, I do a lot of work with uh, cognitive diversity, and that's the one thing that is the hardest thing for me to get through leaders' heads is what you just said. And I love the way you put it. If you go first, you've cre- you've killed all creativity because people are going to gravitate towards your solution instead of thinking on their own. Um, and, and that is an important piece that I really wish that a lot more leaders could could understand. And it's not that you're doing anything bad. It's just by virtue of your position, people are going to want to agree or align. And I know we're talking about alignment in a positive way, but here in some ways, it's kind of a negative. People are going to want to align as closely as possible with your solution, if for no other reason than to try to curry favor, right? That's so true. That's so true. And the, and the leader can stop all that by saying, hey, you know what? I don't know. And by, and by the way, sometimes saying, you know, I don't know shows a sense of humility. Mm-hmm. And what that drives in the organization is more risk taking. And more risk taking leads to greater cre- creativity. Greater creativity leads to innovation. You know, and I could go on and on. So, so we as leaders have an opportunity to really get the best and, and the most out of our uh, employees, sometimes by just being quiet. Mm, I love that. I love that. Well, Art, I want to be cognizant of your time here. We've been chatting for about 45 minutes or so, and I don't know about you, but this has just been an outstanding conversation. Earl, I would have to agree with you. I think you've done a great job of not only capturing the the essence of, of what the art of alignment is all about, the excitement of the work that we've done. Uh, we are very pleased as, you know, being a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Um, but in the same token, though, we think this it, this is a mechanism by which leaders and those that espouse to be leaders can look at an organization and say, you know, there are ways to to really drive the highest levels of performance, but we got to take the time to uh, inspect what we expect. A hundred percent agree. Uh, now, again, as I mentioned, we left a lot of meat on the bone here. So thank you very much for those comments, considering how much we have left to talk about if if we had an infinite uh, time here, but we don't. Uh, so with that in mind, is there any piece of the book that we didn't get a chance to cover that you really want to leave listeners with? You know, uh, it's not as much from the book. It's It's really what came since the book, 
right? So in the process of writing the book, and I, it, it took some time to do, um, we quickly learned that by measuring uh, organizational alignment, we were also measuring misalignment. And I alluded to the fact that those that are most uh, feel most marginalized are those that oftentimes are are most misaligned. And um, and by doing that work, what we did was pivoted to uh, this idea of if alignment is truly the um, uh, is kind of this this concept of leveraging strategy, structure, and culture, the strength of harmony between the three. That cultural aspect is what drives sustainability. And so we began to even take a deeper dive in there. So not only measuring alignment, but now measuring that cultural aspect of it so that once we become aligned, it is something that will stand the test of time. And that cultural aspect took us right into the space of measuring what we call cultural competency. And I heard you mention unconscious bias a moment ago. But by measuring this cultural competency, we can begin to sustain performance over time as that equimetric score goes up. So that's another tool of measurement. Stay tuned for you know, future writings on that. But we are able to measure cultural competency as well. And it's some exciting stuff. So I, it's just a quick commercial, shameless in some ways, but exciting in others. Well, I'm excited to hear that and don't worry about it because uh, I love it. And uh, when that comes out, when you're ready to unveil that, uh, you've got an open invitation to come back on the show. Earl, I really appreciate it. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, so uh, let's say we've won over some folks, which I know we have. They want to get a copy of the book. They want to find out more about you and your organization and what services you offer. Uh, what's a good place for them to, to go look for that information? So, uh, Orgametrics, O-R-G-A-M-E-T-R-I-C-S dot net. And then, uh, and then uh, the book can be purchased uh, wherever you get your books, whether it's Barnes and Noble or through Amazon. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, Art, thank you very much for spending the time with uh, me and, and my listeners today. I really appreciate the conversation we had, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Earl, thanks for the flexibility and uh, nice work on your part as well. Oh, thank you very much. And listeners, thank you very much for being with us and spending the time with us. Make sure you go and visit uh, Art's website. That'll be in the links uh, in the show notes. So you can just click and get there. Grab a copy of the book uh, and do what you guys do best. Make sure you share, uh, rate, review, and get this show out there so Art can get his message spread further and make more of an impact the way he and his organization want to do. If you have any comments or questions or concerns for me, you can reach out at burden.command at gmail.com. That's burden.command at gmail.com. Thank you for your time. Appreciate everything you do. And I look forward to speaking with you all again in the next episode. Electric acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric acid.